Ogumbawale for the win. Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter on LockedOnWBB. You can make sure to follow the all-star team of other people who are also broadcasting every single day at Lockdown Women's Basketball. Lockdown Women's Basketball is brought to you by Built Go. Built Go has 1.5-ounce packages that help you break through your physical or mental wall Go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. The promo code LOCKED gets you 20% off your next order at BuiltGo.com. And I am here to talk for a second time. You guys are going to hear it for the first time, but for the second time this week. So I am extra privileged to talk to Debbie Antonelli. We had technical difficulties that lost our first conversation to history forever. Debbie, am I remembering right that we were sharing with the listeners the meaning of life? We provided the meaning of life in that list in, in that broadcast <laughs> that's sadly been lost, right? It's a shame that no one will ever get to hear that because I think we solved every issue in America. Remember world peace too, right? Let's not forget world peace <laughs> right. at the 20-minute mark. Ah, very, very disappointing. But the upside is you guys get Debbie Antonelli today and with the added benefit of having seen Syracuse Miami, which she called last night. And Syracuse, to my mind, is one of the most compelling teams in this country, not just because of some of the storylines underlined, but because of the talent. So just take me through, what did you see last night that particularly stuck out to you? Well, I mean, I've had Syracuse very high in my poll. I think I have them at number 11 or 12. Um, I, I think they're really good. I think they're talented. They're young. They have some big game experience. They have some in the positions that they need to continue to evolve. You know, Tiana Monacahia is uh, one of the best stories in sport, not just in basketball. And she continues to press a little bit. You know, the Tiana that left uh, at the end of her junior year is not the Tiana that we have right now, and there's good reason. Having battled breast cancer for a year and coming back to play is just incredibly amazing. So she's a winner every time she laces them up. But she's pressing a little bit. And she's trying to make things, force things to happen. I kept saying last night she's going for home runs instead of hitting for singles. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, they're athletic. They're long. Quentin Hillsman has never had this kind of size on his back row. Uh, they're talented. They're going to be really good, and they will put it together. That style of play uh, over 40 minutes can wear teams down, and they have a lot of – so it's going to be fun to watch them evolve. You know, what's interesting to me, you talked about the size, and Camilla Cardozo, not just that she's 6'7", but she's so polished relative to her age. To be doing this uh, as a freshman, it really strikes me as an impressive – and potentially game-changing weapon for them heading into ACC conference play. Do you see her as something that gives them even an advantage over, you know, I think back to that 2016 team that made the run all the way to the championship game before falling to Brianna Stewart's UConn. And that team had size, but they didn't have somebody like Cardozo, right? No, you're absolutely right, and uh, you know her and Priscilla Williams, the other highly touted freshman, the two of them. Uh, so when he puts Priscilla Williams at the top of his one-three-one pressure, that's long, athletic, tips, deflections, 
and uh, a three-point threat. Like a three and D wing is what you, what we talk about. Mm-hmm. And then Carmilla and the back row, uh, Cordoso, who is learning how to play through the contact. She's going to be fine. The ACC will prepare her for everything that she will need when we get to the postseason. And uh, I, I really like their team. And I know Tiana is going to turn the corner with uh, turning the ball over. That's not going to be the way she's going to play in February. But I think, you know, Quentin Hillsman's style is a wear-down factor over 40 minutes. And you got to, you know, sometimes he says they got to press their way into game shape. And I think that's what they're doing right now. When you look at someone like Tiana, she's not just somebody who's put up point guard numbers that are elite. She's put up point guard numbers nobody ever has. And I, I've written about this. Uh, over at 538 that her assist percentage her first full season at Syracuse was over 60% which nobody's ever done I mean as long as they've measured the stat over the past half decade no one's ever done that and the only other person who's had 50 or higher is Tiana in her second year at Syracuse so it's a skill and an ability to find people that isn't just among the best, but it's something very few have ever seen. Now, I know her twin goals for 2021 are to play for Australia at the Olympics and to be called, her name called, in the first round of the 2021 WNBA draft. Do you think it is simply a question of endurance, or do you think there's other aspects of her game that need to return or improve in order for her to get to where she wants to be by next spring? Well, first of all, Howard, you know I love it when you throw the analytics out, and I'm sure you got those from her hoop stats. And That's we both right. have a, a great admiration for Aaron and what he's done over there with giving our game some other measures of measurement and analytic to really quantify how good these players are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's that's really amazing. Um, when I when I think about Tiana, and you know, I often talk about the three W's of a good point guard: who to get the ball to, when, and where. To answer your question, I think she has all that skill. I think it's an endurance and a conditioning factor right now. It's getting her body back uh, after all that she's been through in the last year. I mean, when you think about eight chemotherapy plus radiation plus a double mastectomy and a reconstruction, and to be able to come back and play college basketball, and she's 25. I mean, she's she's a, an older college player. Uh, I, I think she is remarkable. I think she will play in the WNBA. I don't know how Sandy Brondello will keep her off the Australian national team just because they're so talented, and I think she can add. Uh, And so um, I think by the time we get to February, if we have this conversation again, I think we'll see a different player. What did you get out of Miami? And, you know, Katie Myers' program is one that draws some interesting talents, but what we haven't really seen her do and that program do is break through. We haven't seen for all the inherent advantages that Miami has, Miami playing in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Is this a team that has the opportunity to do so, or are we talking about another year where Miami isn't necessarily reaching into the level of the Blue Bloods uh, that a lot of people think the program ought to be at? Well, I evaluate coaches this way. Can they recruit? Can they plan and prepare and practice and game plan? And then can they adjust? Katie checks the boxes on all of those, Coach Meyer. And her team is smaller, quick and athletic, very versatile in the way they play, and they play hard. And you can guarantee that every time they step on the floor, you're going to get the best that Miami can give you. Now, Miami is missing Mykia Gray, 
who uh, was their starting point guard for three years, who had an ACL injury, who's not available this year. Mm-hmm. That changes a lot of dynamics because now that one person out requires everyone else to change their role and some players playing out of position. So that's an adjustment that takes some time. Coach Meyer was able to adjust last year without Beatrice Montpremier, who was out mo- most of the year with an injury. And uh, I think uh, she'll adjust this year. Syracuse is interesting because they open up the floor. They're long and athletic, and they're just not a good matchup for what Miami has. But Miami will be fine. I'm not really worried about them. It's interesting the point you made about Mom Premier because that program for the past several years has been so built around her talents. And so it's not an advantage not to have Beatrice Mom Premier, but knowing you don't have her and being able to plan your program accordingly has to give you a bit of a leg up just from a planning perspective, I would think. Well, I think you have to, you know, all good coaches uh, practice without their best player on the floor at times in a game in case they get in foul trouble or they do have an injury. I mean, you have to think and prepare through every scenario. And I think, you know, Coach Meyer with her 16-year experience at Miami and 20-plus years on the sideline is going to figure it out and um, you know she's got some veteran guards in the backcourt last night it was a matter of making shots not getting shots and you know you got to make shots against Syracuse because of the tempo because you go three empty possessions and they come down and they hit a three and they get a steal off their press and all of a sudden the momentum shifts very quickly so you know they didn't make shots in the second half did Miami and I think that was probably the start of the third quarter where they probably lost the game Mm -hmm. no question and Boy, it's just interesting. You think about this Miami team, they're going to struggle, and this is not a reflection on their own talent, but to end up in the top half of this ACC, which is just so stacked with talent. It is a year that I certainly hope as closely approximates, and we were talking about this yesterday, right, as closely approximates a real year as possible with the understanding it's not going to. That's not what we've got in a time figuring out how to play safely around COVID-19 and as close as we can get to a real year as possible is going to really allow us to see this talent shake out and something that I know we're both very hopeful about. It also (laughs) brings up the reality that is your workload in a given week plus and, 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 and even in this case less than a given week. You called Syracuse Miami last night Thursday night and our listeners are going to get this today on Friday you're calling Tennessee Texas on Sunday and then you're calling Baylor Texas Tech on Monday I mean it's just there's this consistent and constant ability to be able to go from game to game and broadcast it I guess I wonder how much that's a helpful thing for you uh just to get through what's a difficult year for all of us to be able to engage in these games day after day. Well, and Howard, since we've spoken yesterday, my schedule has already changed. So just like players and coaches trying to be fluid and flexible, uh, now uh, I will stay on the Tennessee-Texas game on Sunday on ESPN, but I will be moved off the Monday game at Baylor because I'm going out to the University of Pacific to do the uh, Stanford-Pacific game for Tara's potential win over Pacific and which would uh, pass Pat Summit's all-time winningest record. So um, that would be a um, Tuesday game out on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. I have a Wednesday men's game at home against the LSU men, and then I have a Louisville women on Thursday, and then I have 
Clemson, South Carolina men on Saturday, and then I have <laughs> Clemson women on Sunday. So some of that is travel, some of that is home with the home broadcast kit. But um, it, it's awesome. Um, you know, <laughs> I love that pace. I love that schedule. Uh, and um, I've been doing that kind of pace. I was doing that pace for, for years, uh, almost a game every night. Um, and, it, and it's really fun, and I, and I really enjoy it. And I think a lot of people uh, question the sanity of it. But um, when you love it like I do and ESPN asks you to do those games, I'm not saying no. I'm figuring mm-hmm. out a way to say yes. I, you know, I, it's not so much a question of the sanity. It's, a, it's just a Grateful Nation thank you. I mean, I go back to be going over game film, and I've got my DVR set. And I get to hear you call a game, and it just, uh, you know, it, it, it brightens the experience. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but I, I, I want to share this with our listeners. I want them to know uh, about uh, an experience that, that you and I had where I went down to South Carolina versus Mississippi State uh, down in Starkville, and I was going to an unfamiliar town and to go do a story. And I get to the airport, and I get off the plane, and you are there at the airport, and you know, with your always friendly greeting, and made me feel at home right away into this place that you know is is neither of our homes, but the the road being like a home to you, I think, uh, played a part in it, and it was just all right. I'm here to do this story. I'm very excited about, and and Debbie's here, so this is where I need to be. So that you have been that consistent figure. And, and and you've done it throughout your career, you've created a lot of this infrastructure. And at the risk of asking you to repeat this story, I, I, I want to talk about and I want to make sure everybody knows what you did at Ohio State. Because at Ohio State, the reason why people were able to watch the great Katie Smith, you know, fifth all-time in win shares in the history of the WNBA, but before that, a great at Ohio State, and a great in the ABL uh, is because of you, Debbie. Can you tell that story? Oh, I, I love to tell this story, Howard. Thank you for asking me. Uh, I started my broadcast career at, the, career at the University of Kentucky 30 plus years ago, and I spent four years as the director of marketing at Kentucky. When I got the job at Ohio State, I was 27, and I was the director of marketing in the athletic department at the time, the largest athletic department, 31 sports. And back in the early 90s, our budget was like 33 million. I think Ohio State's like 333 million now. But um, uh, I, my four years at Ohio State coincided with Katie Smith. Uh, Ohio State, Nancy Darsh, may she rest in peace, was a great recruiter and signed the number one high school player in the country. I had known Katie from high school. I'd seen her play already, so I knew how good she was. And I went to the local cable company in Columbus, Ohio, and I asked them if they could produce some women's basketball games. They said they didn't know. I said, well, see if you can figure it out, and if you can, tell me what it would cost, and as the director of marketing at Ohio State, I will go out and sell the inventory, which I did. It was around $50,000 worth of inventory. So I sold $50,000 worth of advertising so we could do eight women's basketball games, and it allowed me selfishly to stay on my parallel track to uh, be an athletic director one day, but also fuel this passion I have for basketball. So I was able to stay in my lane doing my job as the director of marketing, and I also was able to create an opportunity where I could continue to stay on the air calling games. So we sold that package. 
I worked uh, and reported directly to Archie Griffin, the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner at Ohio State, whose name uh, may arguably be right up there with Jack Nicklaus. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, taking Archie on some of those sales calls made it really easy to get people to say yes because nobody says no to Archie Griffin in Columbus. And uh, it, it actually added an opportunity for St. John Arena at the time and for Ohio State women's basketball to continue to, to grow. And, Howard, that's not the only thing I did. I mean, I created this TV network. There's another piece of the story, two more pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And I won't give you all the detail, but I did give away a car at halftime of a game. Somebody was going to leave the arena with a car, and there's a wonderful story behind how I put that promotion together. Please. I also created corporate hospitality opportunities in um, in our indoor practice facility that was attached to St. John Arena at at Ohio State was um, an opportunity for me to sell what I called like tailgate experience at women's basketball. I had white picket fence and catering and I would go to companies and I would sell, you know, here's 200 tickets, buy this plus catering, here's the menu and you can take your clients and entertain them before women's basketball. And then we have this super secret tunnel underneath from French Field House to St. John Arena that's going to bring us up right by the women's basketball locker room. And you're going to stand there when the team runs out, and then you're going to be a guest coach and sit on the bench, and we're going to package all this together. That was another thing that I did to try to get corporations in Columbus, which there are a lot, mm-hmm. that have their headquarters in Columbus, Ohio, to try to entertain their clients at women's basketball. The other thing I did, too, is... WBNS Radio was our flagship affiliate for Ohio State Sports. And I was responsible for those contracts and those affiliate contracts through our affiliate relationship uh, program Mm -hmm. with WBNS. At that time at Ohio State, this is in the early 90s, if you wanted to be an affiliate for Ohio State football and carry the Buckeyes regionally on your local in Lima, Ohio, or in Cleveland, Ohio, or in Sandusky, Ohio, or Athens, Ohio, wherever the affiliate was, you were required in your contract to take half the men's basketball schedule. So if you wanted to be an affiliate for Ohio State football, you had to carry Ohio, you had to carry half the men's schedule. Well, when I got in there, I said, well, wait a second, what about half the women's schedule? Why aren't the women involved in this contract? Mm-hmm. So changed the contracts as they expired, started asking um, affiliates to take half the women's schedule and I didn't care which games you picked you could take whatever inventory you want I wasn't going to micromanage that part of it take whatever you want, whatever you think you can sell, now, of course a lot of them took the bigger Big Ten games that you know would have uh, some more appeal to them and I created a 55 statewide radio network for Ohio State women's basketball off of football and it, it wasn't as hard as it sounds it was somewhat of an easy, easy fix. So today, having done all those things in the early 90s, which I'm really proud of because the corporate hospitality, the ability to give away a car, creating a television network, and a radio, statewide radio network, all during Katie Smith's time, really allowed us to push and promote women's basketball at the highest level in the Big Ten, which at that time, the league, well, the league's good this year, too, but it was really good back then also. Yeah. And I'm really proud of those efforts, Howard, because, you know, I, that's the lens through which I see products. And so, if I may, you know, the four P's of 
marketing, product, price, promotion, play. This is why I feel so strongly about pushing our game forward on the offensive end. Okay? Because that's how our product needs to be sold. It needs to be seen through an offense. It needs to be seen like it's exciting. It needs to be effective, efficient, productive, high scoring. If you go into a grocery store and you have an end cap and it has a product on it, and you have a two-for-one price on the product, or you have a lower price on the promotion, and the product is in a visible spot where you can't miss it where you walk in the store, that product is not any good, you are not going to buy it. So I don't buy best practices or strategic plans or white papers anymore in our game. I was doing those things in the mid-90s. And right now, we have a great product in the women's game, and we have got to figure out the right economic model in the right way to push our game forward to sell it. If I was doing those things in the 90s, before we had social media and the visibility and the TV and, and the things that we do have today, there's no reason why those things can't be happening in other places. And they are happening in other places. There are places where, look what South Carolina has done. Look what Oregon has done in boosting their attendance. Look what Vic Schaefer did at Mississippi State. I mean, there are places besides UConn and Tennessee that have, you know, it, over history have somewhat carried the attendance base of our game. I think that, you know, there are things that people need to do, and they need to start working to do it. And, it's and you can't just go to the Civic Club and speak, and that's important. But you've got to be creative. You've got to find ways to create inventory that people are interested in, and then you can sell it. And that's why I feel so strongly about offense, because that's what sells. So, a couple, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And at the risk of denigrating yesterday's show, which was you know, a Hall of Fame level show and will live on in our memories forever. But you got into even greater detail today about what you did and it matters because it's systematic, right? I, I mean, the reason why what you've done for the women's game is so important is because you attack it in this systematic way. And so I just want to unpack a few of those things as we're thinking about them, because like you said, there are some places where this is happening now, but that was 25, 30 years ago, and it's the exception rather than the rule in the women's game. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But look at what you've done at Ohio State back then and what it means now. You're looking at things not just from do we have uh, a product in the women's game that is exciting and is something that people want to see. You're connecting, you're providing that connective tissue between the broadcast, between the program themselves, and you're saying, all right, why not the women's game? So you introduce talking about the women's game into that conversation. And then we're leveraging what is existing sports relationships and properties, whether it's an Archie Griffin and somebody, you know, extraordinarily well-known who is able to lend his name and leverage that. Whether you're talking in terms of the product themselves, everyone knows the Ohio State football uh, inventory and suddenly you attach women's basketball to it and people are introduced to the product as well. You're providing a service where you know all right, everyone wants to come there and they're seeing the businesses and the local businesses as well and you're providing that extra wow factor of oh man do people can come and win a car in the process. Entertainment, excitement and then most of all you built it around 
someone like Katie Smith, who people wanted to see. People wanted to, people wanted to see Katie Smith to this day. I remember we were out at the Final Four in Columbus a couple of years ago, and Katie Smith was, she's the mayor of that town whenever she wants to be the mayor of Columbus. But part of that happens because of what the work that you did to make sure that everyone was able to see her on their television, was able to hear her on the radio across the state. And so all of which is to say, there's not a magic formula to to promoting the women's name and to making sure that people understand the quality of the women's name any different than there is on the men's name other than to make sure like you said that people see it and to use your supermarket analogy we know the product is something people want to see it's just a matter of getting those end caps and making sure that they are there and and so i i say that by way of looking at some things that you are doing even at the moment that I think reflect that. And there, there are two things I want to spotlight. And one of them is the fact that uh, essentially in your own time, through your own work, you are creating these minute-long promos effectively for players. And so one of them is a player you're going to call uh, the name for on Sunday, and that's Charlie Collier, someone who we both think very highly of and both, I think, see a significant entertainment factor in the way in which she plays. There's no question, Howard. Uh, I'm the, the one-minute video clips or edits that I, I put together, I, uh, on broadcast, love to telestrate. I think it's one of my favorite things inside a game is to teach and mm -hmm. to show and highlight the skill set, the IQ, the work ethic, the ability to read, all those things that players do at a very high level in the women's game. And, you know, my efforts are always about trying to promote the game. So. Uh, Brian McKay, my producer on my podcast, also is um, the person who edits uh, all my clips, who does all the painting through Coach Paint, has done a phenomenal job of working with me. And what I'm trying to do is essentially it's, it's what I call hashtag ticket selling player. Would you buy a ticket, you know, in a normal year, you would buy a ticket to go see this player play. Mm -hmm. This player is exciting. They have an offensive skill set that you want to see. It's entertaining and it's fun. They play inside a concept usually in their team that helps their team win and uh, you use the term win shares you know we like to say plus minus uh, there's a lot of ways you can evaluate and measure but basically what I'm doing is trying to promote our game through the players that are essentially the ones that uh, make the game exciting I mean it is the players that make the game exciting and and breaking down their clips is something that's fun for me to do and I'm gonna I'm, I'm, my goal is to do over a hundred players this year and, you know, honestly, I've had some coaches hit me up with, hey, when are you going to do my player? And I'm I like, they're it. on the list. I will do your player for sure. Because I want it to grow like that where people start seeing. And I've got a, um, an end game in mind for all these clips, and we'll see if, if I can pull that off. But uh, I'm excited to do them, and I, I appreciate you recognizing it, and I know the players appreciate it. Of course you have an end game for it. Of course there's, again, it's always the way you do things. So, I, so I'm, I'm not surprised, but obviously really excited about it. And the other thing I'm really excited about today is the fact that you've, you're back in the podcast game. And just, you know, by, by means of context, I've been at this for a few years now. But I am conscious, I am aware of uh, those who have paved the way and have opened up this space and before lockdown women's basketball you had the podcast uh with beth mullins that uh is extremely popular and so the fact that you are back 
with a new podcast is something in a year where we've had a lot taken away, this is something that's been given to us. It's some, I, I cannot stress enough, if you listen to this podcast, go listen to a better podcast, which is Debbie's podcast. No, don't but can say you, that, Howard. Come on. We're, well, but no, but for real, t- tell, tell people why and how. And it's just, uh, it's just such a thrill to see that happening once more. I really, really enjoy the coaches and the players in our game. And it's 365 all year round, 24-7 here for me. Uh, It's my career and my passion. You know, raising my three boys in an environment where I've been able to live out my career calling games all across the country has just been absolutely amazing. And I am grateful for all the opportunity and the people that, have believed in me, especially my management team at ESPN, and then, you know, my opportunity that, to work for CBS on the men's tournament as well. But it's specifically to the podcast. Uh, I, I, Beth Mowens and I had a five-year run. We had a great run. It was really fun. And one of the two of the things that I really missed from the podcast were uh, the live show we had at the Final Four. And uh, we had four years of a live show. Bars in the back, 800 to 1,000 fans run of show with coaches, players, All-Americans, skits, videos. Uh, you know, we, we had a blast. It was exactly what you would think it would be. It was just a really fun entertainment party, kind of like our, our show, kind of like what Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon do today. Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of, you know, would say our show was like. And then I missed the after party because we always threw a big party afterwards, just like you would expect when you go to a show. You have the after party, and we called it the step over the newspaper party. And that was because in my younger days at the Final Four, I literally sometimes would be networking in the lobby so long that I might step over my newspaper that was delivered at my hotel door on my way back into my room. So it it would just be its a labor of love for a long time. But I really think, again, highlighting the personalities, the IQ, the work ethic of the people in our game and how they fit uh, inside our game and taking a deeper dive into some teams and some personalities and I had a young broadcaster say to me, you know, he, that this person, he remembered shoot around with Beth and Debbie, and he, he always enjoyed listening because he gained some information about teams because we talked about breaking down the game. And uh, he, he said he, he sort of missed it because he didn't feel like there was a place that he could get that kind of information. And that sort of was the final straw for me to decide to give it a go. And so I'm giving it a try. You know, I don't want it to be a long, drawn-out podcast. I don't want it to be a lot of, you know, only just me talking. I I like to interview different people in our game, and I've had some interesting people on so far, and I'm just going to keep working and and see what we come up with. It's very exciting, and it's an opportunity to listen to you as well, which, you know, again, I say this, and I I speak from, obviously, the bias of having, you know, a lot of affection for you anyway, but anybody knows this who who spends any time with you. To listen to you about the game is to learn about the game. And so uh, I know all, all of us are grateful for the additional opportunity to be able to do that and for all of the time that you put in at a systemic level to change and grow this game. So... Um, thank you, and again, I just think it's symptomatic of who you are, that we recorded this podcast, there's technical difficulties, let's do it again, and so as busy as you are for you to take the time really means a lot. Uh, Debbie Antonelli, really, thank you for everything. 
Howard, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for always thinking about me, and I appreciate your kind words. And, you know, we're all trying to push the game forward, so let's just keep grinding. Let's do it.